As I mentioned earlier, our worship community will be coming back and we will be taking most of our sung worship and prayer worship time as a way of responding to the message today because we are going to be finishing our 10-week series out of the fruit of the Spirit. We started with one week just looking at the overview issue of character because the fruit of the Spirit are our character's descriptions of Jesus himself. And uh, we're, we're at a time where there's a crisis of character, as you know, in leadership, in institutions, in government, in church. And uh, we're intent on going the other direction. Amen? We believe God's making us people of character, people who can be trusted, people who live the fruit of the Spirit. So I want to thank you for your attentiveness to this. And we are coming to the very last one. And I wanted us to have just some extra time at the end of this message just to be in God's presence, prepare our hearts for going into Thanksgiving week and letting him work in us. I want to apologize for my voice. I've got a bit of a bug in my voice today, but I don't know, that's a little painful to listen to. It did remind me, I, I, I was overseas. I was in the country of Ethiopia speaking at a big college, Bible college graduation. And on the way over, I contracted laryngitis. And I get there and I had no voice. I mean, I could whisper and I'm sitting on the platform getting ready to speak at this incredible event that all these students and their families have been working towards for four years, and I had no voice. And I was going, Lord, this is so embarrassing. Fortunately, I had to use an interpreter who had a voice. And I'll never forget the Lord speaking to me and saying, um, it's not your voice they need to hear, it's my voice. So... Although I have more of a voice than I did then, I'm still praying that today. I'm not so interested you hear my voice, and my voice might be a little hard to listen to, but we are here to hear God's voice. Amen? And in, uh, thank you for all those who've been praying while I'm just preambling. Thank you for those who've been praying for me. As some, most of you know, I had a little adventure with a heart attack last month, and I'm really feeling good, and getting strong really quickly. Uh, and I, I do, however, want to share a bit of that story with you next week, a little more what happened and what I've become aware of since that time. Uh, just a few things from the Lord that are part of my own processing of that event. However, someone, my pastor friends are joking with me. Now I got all my blood flowing again. Uh, they're, they're saying, you must obviously have only been living off half your brain before. What's going to happen now? So, hey, next few years, who knows what's going to happen? But uh, I'm not going to predict that entirely, except that I'm grateful because I don't feel done, and I feel grateful for the new lease on life God's given me, except for this voice right now. And uh, who knows what the Lord's going to do among us. But I'm going to reflect on that. That'll be the message next Sunday over Thanksgiving weekend. But today, we finish this amazing list of character qualities of Jesus that we call the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul has just talked here in Galatians 5 about the, the works of the flesh, but he doesn't say, and these are the works of the Spirit, because these aren't things that just we do. The works of the flesh are those out-of-control sinful things that we do. They're the things that are not animated or influenced by the Spirit of God. But 
the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, if Spirit life is in us, if Jesus' life is in us, things are going to grow. And these are the kinds of things that are going to grow. And his very last one is self-control. Self-control. There's no hallelujahs in this room in this moment at all, I know. And I wasn't expecting any. Well, let me just talk about that a moment. Self-control. It's that, it's that ability to, yes, control yourself. When our anger spins out of control. When our attitudes spin out of control. When, when we are bound by addictions that we can't seem to break or control. When our eating is out of control. When when our time management is out of control, which is a huge one for many of us, when our spending's out of control, I mean, self-control just sort of lands somewhere in every one of our lives, and our first response is not to feel very good about it. I mean, yeah, my spending, pretty out of control. And so we're going to talk about sort of the integrating factor behind all of this today. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's read all the fruit of the Spirit one more time. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is translated patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now I've you probably notice you've liked some of these more than others. Every one of us loved the first three. Love, joy, peace. Lord, I'm all in for that. Holidays coming, give me lots of love, lots of joy, lots of peace. And then, um, you know, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. I could use a little more of all those. The two that we say ouch on are, of course, patience and self-control. <laughs> patience and self-control. You've got to be careful asking the Lord for patience because I have found that's one prayer he loves to answer faster than most other prayers. Lord, give me patience. Okay, let's uh, just stretch your patience here and see what I can do. The other one, self-control, self-control. And when we come to things like patience and self-control, we're really talking about the core of not just character, but the core of holiness, of godliness, of being like Christ. Holiness is not an old-fashioned word. Holiness is not an uncool word. In fact, I love what C.S. Lewis says, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. In fact, when one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. If you're a person who's patient and self-controlled, you, first of all, are setting yourself apart from a lot of other people. And it's something people admire about you. It's, there, there's a beauty to Christ-likeness when it's really in your life. There's a compelling beauty to being a person who's patient when everybody around you is punching your buttons. And causing you to just lose control. There is something compelling about holiness in a person's life. Holiness. And that's the pursuit of the fruit of the Spirit, a life of holiness. 
and uh, especially when it comes to patience and the one we'll talk about today, self-control. Now, self-control. Here's, here's the angle I'd like to take with self-control. Self-control is going to involve us resisting temptation. Whenever you're, you're going to go out of, whenever your anger is going to blow up, whenever your sexual life is going to get out of control, whenever you're going to pick up that drink again after you've been dry for 14 months, it is going to involve the process of controlling your desires and saying no to those destructive desires, saying no to unholiness in your life, is going to be, require the process of resisting the temptation to do it. The flesh says, do it. The spirit says, don't do it. Be self-controlled. And the thing that's going to make the difference is whether you're going to be able to resist that temptation. So I want to take today to talk about what I call the anatomy of temptation and how we overcome it. And we go to Proverbs chapter 7. And in Proverbs chapter 7, uh, we're, we're, we're going to watch temptation at work. Like Oscar Wilde, you know, he said, the only thing I can't resist is temptation. <laughs> and we're going to see a young man in Proverbs chapter 7 who can't resist temptation. And we're going to watch his story and reverse engineer it and say, oh, so these are the keys to self-control as opposed to just giving in to the destructive things. And so there's going to be a young man in chapter 7 of the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and he's going to experience the three things that James chapter 1 tells us are a part of temptation. James chapter 1 says, don't let any person, let none of us say we're tempted by God because God doesn't tempt anybody to evil, but rather our desires get drawn out and then we rationalize things in our heads and then there's the deed and then there's the death. Well, well it basically, there are three things and these three things this young man's going to walk through. First of all, there's the setup that makes you vulnerable. Sin will set you up as he begins to take your desires and your affections, the wrong direction. He'll set you up, and then he'll wear you down. He'll wear down the resistance to those things. You know you shouldn't, but that resistance gets worn down, and then you make the decision. I call that the kill. So we're going to see these three things in this young man's life. There's going to be the setup, the wear down, and the kill. That's temptation all the way through. So it starts here at the window, verse 6 of Proverbs 7. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. And I saw among the simple, here simple means, doesn't mean uncomplicated, it means not smart. <laughs> like a simpleton, like not wise. I notice among the young men, sorry about this, guys, but youthfulness in the book of Proverbs is often a, a picture. It's a, this is a metaphor of foolishness, foolishness. You don't have the maturity yet. Your, your, your frontal cortex isn't fully formed yet. I mean, you're not making good decisions. So, so he's, he's a simpleton. He's not very smart. He's young and a youth who has no sense. So in other words, this is the picture of how not to live. And this young man's embodying it. And he was going down near her corner. He was going down near her corner. And in her corner, who's the her? She is a woman, 
a woman. And wisdom in the book of Proverbs, because it's the book about wisdom, is personified as a woman. And so you have an anti-woman, an anti-woman person that is also a personification of something, and that's the opposite of wisdom, of foolishness, of wickedness, of sinfulness. And so the young man who's the embodiment of foolishness meets this her, who turns out to be a prostitute, and she is the embodiment of everything but wisdom. This is not going to get pretty. He's going down near her house, near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. So we're talking about avoiding the setup here. And the setup always involves carelessness and secrecy. Carelessness and secrecy. First of all, carelessness about where you are. You know the things that set you up to sin. You know the things, the places where you can tend to lose control. You can't say no to certain desires anymore. And the closer you get to them, the less likely it is you'll be able to say no. It's easy to say no to temptation when you stay a long way away. But where is it? Where is he? Is he is in his own neighborhood? No, he's in her neighborhood. He's wandering around where she shouldn't be. It's like that old hee-haw uh, TV show joke. You know, the guy goes and says, Doc, I broke my arm in two places. And the doc said, well, next time, stay out of those two places. Or the guy who's trying to lose weight, you know, and he shows up in the office one morning with two dozen donuts, and his friend said, I thought you were on a diet. What are you doing with two dozen donuts? He says, well, I drove up to the donut shop. And I said, Lord, if it's your will for me to have two dozen donuts, let there be a parking spot open right in front. <laughs> and after eight times around the donut top, there was a parking spot. I just knew it. So, some places, you just got to stay out of them dark places. This is, some of us are just too careless. The stuff we watch, the stuff we listen to, places we go. We know what sets it. Sometimes it's times when we're really tired and fatigued. Times when somebody's really bothered us at work. Those are the times where we're more susceptible to temptation. And you've got to be very careful about the setup locations. And then notice he wasn't doing this in the middle of the day. He was doing this as the sun was setting and as the darkness of night was coming over. This is secrecy. And at some point, we've got to be rigorous with ourselves. We have to be asking ourselves, are there patterns that are morally questionable in my life that I am actively keeping secret from those who are closest to me? Are there morally questionable activities in my life that I'm just keeping? I'm not living in the light. I have no accountability in my life. I don't have brothers and sisters I can meet with and confess sin and pray and help me or, or, or call when I'm really being tempted and I'm feeling the setup coming on. I mean, are you living in the light of, of these things or are you just keeping everything in secret and hiding in them even from the people closest to you? That's part of the setup. You, you're careless and you're secret with those areas. Then comes the wear down. Then comes the wear down. So he's in her neighborhood and he's doing it in secrecy. 
this guy's a sitting duck. This guy, so far, there's no indication he's going to have any kind of self-control. But there still is going to be a wear-down process because he hasn't made any decisions yet. So the wear-down process involves ego and sensuality. The setup process involves it, it involves uh, carelessness and secrecy. Now we go to ego and sensuality. And I don't know two things that will wear you down faster towards making the wrong decisions and being out of control than ego and sensuality. Ego, not necessarily even in the bad sense, like you're arrogant, but all of us have an ego structure. We have an identity, who we are. And are we respected? And are we loved? And all of these things. He's, she's going to go for that and wear him down there, and then she'll bring out the sensuality. First of all, he doesn't, she doesn't start with the physical stuff. She starts with the emotional stuff, just going for his ego. Then out, verse 10, then out came a woman to meet him. Out came this woman to meet him. I mean, she's dressed like a prostitute, and she has crafty intent. So this is the deal. She is unruly and defiant, and her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. This is an Old Testament personification of sin itself and unholiness. And sometimes we think sin well, was just a bad choice I made or I just made a mistake. No, sin is a power. Uh, sin's looking for you. It's looking for you. She's crafty. She's prowling around. She's unruly and defiant. She's out of control and she's defiant and her feet never stay at home. They, they're after you every corner. She's looking, sin's looking for you. It reminds me in chapter 4 of Genesis, the first murder in the Bible, Cain murders his brother. And God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It's crouching at your door like a lion, like a wild lion. It's crouching at your door. It desires to have you but you must rule over it. You're going to have to have some self-control because sin is crouching, waiting to have you. It's after you. So we're not dealing with something benign here. This is why we need the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is more than we can defeat in ourselves. We need the fruit of the Spirit. And she took hold of him, verse 13, and kissed him. Oh my, I don't even know this kid. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, Ah, oh, today I've filled my vows. I'm a religious person. I have food from my fellowship offering at home. I've done it all. So I have come out to meet you. I looked for you and, oh, I found you. And he's going, you know, my, my wife never talks to me like that. She's just, my wife does talk to me like that, but just to clear the record, but. <laughs> well, I've seen Christian men go down this road with their secretaries and say, well, well, you know, my wife just kind of takes me for granted, but my secretary, boy, she, she's telling me I'm the greatest thing that ever walked the planet every time I come into the office. And you know what? You're just being a sucker. Just your ego needs appearing to those ego needs, just being worn down. You see, we all have legitimate needs for attention, for love, for affirmation. 
We all have legitimate ego needs in our lives. It's not right to say, well, I'm going to resist temptation by refusing to think I have any needs. Every one of us have legitimate needs. We all need God. We all need to love and be loved. We all need purpose. And that's why our vision as a church, we reduced to three sentences. We're here to help people meet God and help, help people connect with others and be loved and, and, and to help people find their purpose. I mean, because those are the core human needs that every person has. I have those needs. You have those needs. It's how you get your needs met that make the difference. Don't feel guilty that you need to be loved. Don't feel guilty because there's sometimes a need for people to encourage you and tell you they admire you. It's not an ego thing in a bad way. We all have needs for esteem and affection and appreciation and value and purpose. We all have those needs. The question is, how are you having those needs met? In a holy way or an unholy way? And one of the greatest ways in which you can resist the wear down when your desires start almost getting out of control is, is, is to keep working hard at being the healthiest person you can emotionally and spiritually. You just flat out keep going after God in your heart. You're living close to him. I know a friend of mine a number of years ago, he had a terrible pornography addiction, and he just got fed up with it. And, and he just, he said, I, I know there's needs that aren't being met in my life somehow, and I'm acting it out with, in very unholy ways. And he, he, he just started by just going after God hard. He just started by memorizing scripture every day. And he just started by filling his life with new things. And, and, uh, and I tell you, the resistance to temptation to unclean things uh, just began to melt away. And it doesn't always happen like that. That's a huge battle for many people. Uh, sexuality in general is an out-of-control issue. It's not a self-control issue in American culture. It's whatever I desire, I figure out a way of getting it. And, and often those sexual desires are rooted in big holes emotionally in our lives and spiritually in our lives. And so the best thing you can do is to work hard at being a healthy person. Just be a healthy person emotionally. Appreciate people around you, but not need what they can give you too much. I mean, just be a spiritually healthy person. We're identities in Christ. And if somebody makes fun of you, you know, it's not the end of the world. You're in Christ. You know who you are. And so these things are incredibly important. Don't meet legitimate needs in unholy ways. This lady... Is, is playing to his legitimate needs, but in an unholy way. He's saying, oh, you're just something terrific. You know, I've been looking for you, like, for the last three hours. Couldn't wait to find you. And now I've found you. She lays a big smooch on him. Says, ah, finally I found you. Just playing at his ego. Then she pulls out the sensuality, verse 16. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. Now, there's five physical senses. Now we're talking about the physical stuff. They are, they are hearing, and they are sight, and uh, they are smell, and taste, 
can touch. Those are the five physical senses, if I remember them correctly. She appeals to every one of those five senses. He can hear her voice. Later on, I'll say, with smooth talk, she seduced him. So she, she hears her wooing voice, and then, and then sight. She says, I have multicolored linens on my bed. Sight, color, and smell. And I have perfumed my bed with aloes and cinnamon. Smell. And let's drink deeply of love. Taste. Let's enjoy love till the morning touch. I mean, this is a masterful piece of literature right here. It's a masterful metaphor for everything that sets us up. It plays to the unhealthiness inside of you and then appeals to you through your five senses. So if I want it, I can't seem to say no to it because we are driven not by the Spirit of God, but we're driven by the cravings of the flesh. We're cravings, driven by the cravings of our five physical senses. And this is what, this is what sets us up to lose our self-control. And it's very important that not only we give ourselves to healthy living, to being healthy emotion, Do what it takes. If you need to see a counselor, if you need to spend more time up here having people pray for you, if you need to, to edit some things out of your life so you're not in those territories anymore, whatever it takes to become a healthy human being and to be full of the Holy Spirit. The other thing you learn is you don't let your senses dictate all your decisions for you. Just because you want a second piece of pie, I'm going to make you really guilty this week. Okay, I'll change that. Just because you weren't want the third piece of pie after Thanksgiving dinner doesn't mean you need that third piece of pie. I mean, do you have the power to say no to it? Do you have the power to say no? That's why fasting is, is a good spiritual discipline in the Christian's life, to say no to your cravings and your appetite, to learn to say no. Like, like we, in the power of the Spirit, can say no because just because my flesh wants it, that doesn't mean a thing. So we say no to it. That's how you break addictions. You learn to say no what you're craving by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we train ourselves to live by the Spirit, not our senses, and not to give ourselves only to what we feel like doing. At that point, we're nearly done. It's to set up right through carelessness and secrecy, and then the wear, not, wear down, appealing to his, sense, to his ego and to his sensuality, to our sensuality. You can live sensually, or you can live in sensuality, or you can live by the power of the Spirit. All that's left is the kill. And self-control means that we have to defy the kill. We resist the wear down, but we have to defy the kill. And... All it takes for him is to have a good excuse now. Just the rationalization to give himself permission to do what he shouldn't do. So she says, she knows this. She says, my husband is not at home. He's gone a long journey. He took his purse, filled it with money, and will not be home 
till full moon. So she's saying, we're, we're here in Springfield. My husband's in San Francisco, and he's at a two-week conference. He won't be back for a long time. But we have tonight. And with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All that he needed was permission, to give himself permission. And I believe this for years. I want you to hear me really closely. I don't believe we can ever sin without lying to ourselves. Either lie to yourself about God, you lie to yourself about others, or you lie to yourself about yourself. Here, here's, I, I wrote down nine or ten just really quick, and, and this could be a much longer list, but I fight them in my own head sometimes. And I've seen, as a pastor, thousands of people fight these lies. It's like, it's like you've already been set up, you're in the wrong place, you've been careless, there's secrecy, you've been worn down, your resistance has been worn down, and now all you need is to give yourself permission, and that's when you lie. You say, you know, I won't get caught. You don't know that. Uh, no one will know. Uh, it's not hurting anybody. I've seen parents divorce, say, it won't hurt my kids. I mean, or God won't care, right? Or if I do, it, he'll just forgive me later. Or everybody's doing it. Look, uh, in the sexuality areas, it looks like everybody's doing it, but it's not true. No, God's got a generation that's living pure and holy. You don't have to do this. Oh, but it'll make me happy. Mm-mm. Maybe for a few hours. But sin just destroys us. I, I just have to do it. No, you don't just have to do it. That's a lie from the enemy. Well, I deserve this. After all I've been through. I know I've been dry for 14 months, but I deserve that cup of alcohol. I deserve that injection right now. Or, oh, I'm worthless. So I tell you, it's a terrible, you're not emotionally healthy if you think you're a bunch of trash and you're worthless. When you think you're worthless, why even resist temptation? Because you're not worth it. I'm worthless. Who cares what happens to me? Or it's no use. I mean, I always give in. I'm such a failure. You cannot sin without lying to yourself. But the Spirit of God wants to fill us with truth from the inside out. Truth is, you can overcome. Truth is, you are worth it. Truth is, you can say no. As he works in your life. So verse 22, all at once he followed her. And then what follows does not sound like most movies where you see affairs and sexual immorality all the time. All at, all at once he followed her. And this is what it looks like from God's perspective. He followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. <laughs> Doesn't sound very romantic to me. Like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. 
President Calvin Coolidge once went to church and came home and a friend asked him, what did the preacher preach about? And Coolidge said, sin. And well, the friend asked him, what did he have to say about it? Well, he's against it. <laughs> oh, good. Look, God's against sin because he knows it's going to destroy you. And you don't have to be unholy in this very unholy world. You can say no to temptation. You can have self-control in your life with your anger, with your attitudes, with your tongue, with your spending habits, with your time management. We can say no to these things because he's our ultimate deliverer, deliverer Jesus. I'd like the worship community to come back to the platform, and there's going to be some moving around, so I'm going to ask you a favor if you just really focus on these next verses on the screen. As soon as Paul wrote, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to bring forth in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. He will say, here's why we can have it. The very next verse. For those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Do you realize that Jesus gave us a huge head start upon this? He died on the cross. And when nails were put through his hands and feet, it was like nails were put through the passions and desires in our lives. It's not that we don't feel them. We're, we're tempted. The Bible's very clear. We're all tempted. But our deliverance comes from the fact that Jesus defeated. Remember we said sin is more than just a mistake. Sin is a power that's prowling after us. But he broke the power of that sin on the cross. So those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we're people of the Spirit. Let's keep in step not with our passions and desires from the flesh. Let's keep training ourselves. Let's be healthy spiritually. Let's be healthy emotionally. Let's be Jesus-centered in every part of our lives. Let's, let's who, we who come to Jesus and become a part of the community of his spirit, let's stay in step with what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. I like how P.T. Forsyth put it. Unless there is within us that which is above us, we shall soon yield to that which is around us. I'll try that one one more time. Unless there is within us that which is above us, we shall soon yield to that which is around us. That's why eight football players can land on a little football that size and that football not collapse. Why? The pressure inside that little football is greater than eight 250 men landing on it. I want to tell you, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is greater than any temptation I could name to spin your life out of control this week. Because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We need him. We've been talking about the fruit of the spirit. We've been talking about more than just the fruit of teeth uh, clenching discipline. This is the fruit of the Spirit. You can have something greater in you than he that's in the world.
and so Forsyth says, unless there's something within us uh, that is from above us, we shall soon yield to that which is around us. But you don't need to yield to anything but the power and spirit of Jesus. I'd like you to stand with me.